Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, in our last episode, we had a great interview going with Jordan, and it was such a good time. I wanted to continue on the conversation. So we have a second episode for you with the great Jordan Harbinger because one wasn't enough. So there's a few more things I want to know. So let's fast forward. You end up being a, a Wall Street lawyer, of all things. Mm-hmm. That seems like a bit of a jaunt, and I'm sure there's a transition here along the way. But yeah. how do we go from the hacking kid to Wall Street lawyer? It's funny. It's so obviously not a fit for what I'm doing now or for my personality, I should say. The reason I became an attorney was because when I graduated from college, this is the dumbest thing in the world. But the reason I became an attorney is I graduated from college, University of Michigan. I had already lived abroad in Germany as an exchange student. I had lived in Ukraine, in Panama. I did an internship at the U.S. Embassy. I lived in Israel for a while. I had backpacked through Egypt and North Africa and This is all before probably age 22, 23 when I graduated. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm graduated. I have a degree in with multiple languages under my belt from a great school. How do we get jobs? And it was like, (laughs) oh, you go and apply for them and things like that. And I was like, well, are they going to teach us how to do this at all? Or and it's and, you know, my friends are like, oh, yeah, no, I got a job because my uncle's friends, dad's cousins, he runs a brokerage firm in New York. So and I was like, I don't have those connections. What do I do? Mm-hmm. So my dad was like, I don't know. You want to you, you shouldn't work in a factory like I do or in a headquarters like I do. You should do something with your degree. I don't know. Don't they? Because t- he was an engineer. He didn't have to go far to find a job in Detroit in the right. 60s. And my mom was a teacher. So they're like, how do you not have an idea of how to get a job? And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't. They never, I never thought about how to do this. <laughs> they never covered that part in school. They never covered that part. And, and now that's so obvious. But back in 2003, mm-hmm. it was like, we were still under the illusion that college trained you for a career in right. many cases. And yep. it doesn't in most cases. A lot of people are still under that illusion. Yes, true. And I would say it's an illusion unless you go to a trade school for medicine, engineering, teaching, law. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I thought, okay, I'll figure this out eventually. But in the meantime, I need to get money because it's not, I'm not, not from the kind of family where dad's like, here's a bunch of money until you figure out what your passion is. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like that, that was not where I grew up. Yeah. And so I went to Best Buy. It's like a chain where you buy CDs and televisions and stuff. And I applied there and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, you're a good fit for this. It's a competitive, a lot of people applying right now because they probably all graduated. I said, great, I can fix computers. I can build computers. Why don't you put me over there in that uh, customer service section and I can I can build systems from scratch. I can mount processors. I can get rid of it, viruses, anything. And they're like, well, that's great. But those people have been here for like three or four years. You are going to be in music. And that's where everyone starts. And I was like, music? I don't know anything about music. They're like, oh, it's, it's easy. Tom is going to mentor you in music. And I look and I'm like, Tom, the 17 year old kid who's my, actually my friend's little brother, who's still in high school as a sophomore. And doesn't have a degree from a four year university and a bunch of student loans. He's going to be sort of like my boss right now. And I was like, this makes no sense. Thank you, student loans. There's a little bit of ego in there. I'll admit it. But mostly it was like, wait a minute, I'm going to make five twenty five an hour or whatever. And and also I'm going to sell CDs, but not to be that guy, but I, I can literally build a computer. I bet you could put me back there with the guys that are fixing computers right now. And I know as much or more than any of those guys who've been here for four years. Why am I going to do this dumb thing? So I kind of didn't really want to take 
that job. And my dad's like, you better figure out what you're going to do. So I got a government fellowship that was kind of like a Fulbright thing, but from the Defense Department to go work in Serbia, like uh, not Siberia, but the former Yugoslavia, for those who don't know. I have a lot of friends who are Serbian. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of people are like, isn't it cold there? I'm like, yes, but not, it's not the, not the one you're thinking of that's always cold, right? This is a different place. It's in the Yeah, this gets hot in the summer. (laughs) It gets hot in the summer. They have, they have seasons there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went there and I applied to law schools because Every overachiever that I knew who was not getting a job at a business because they went to business school or had a connection, they were just like, you should go to law school. This is where like people go when they want to make a lot of money. And I thought, okay, well, I don't care about money, but a lot of my smart friends are going there. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be a good move. And also it gives me three more years to figure out how to do this whole adulting life job thing. And so I went to law school, worked really, really hard because it was that's like the big leagues. Like that's where all the smart gunners go from all over the country. They go to these top 10 schools like um, University of Michigan Law School and, and Harvard and those types of places. And so I worked my buns off and I, I didn't have to look for a job then because then it was like, oh, you have a degree from here. We want to hire you. And the starting salary is one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year plus bonus in 2005, mm-hmm. you know. And so that that was how I ended up on Wall Street. But it wasn't like I have a passion for spreadsheets. Yeah. And so you did that for a while. Did you get to the point where hey, this is not my thing? It, I didn't even get that far. So I got a couple of jobs. One was in London. One was in New York. And I liked the ones in New York, stuck with the ones in New York, worked there for a while. They asked me to come on early, like start early. I said, no, I'm, I'm doing this government fellowship. I got another government fellowship to go abroad again. And I went back to Serbia, came back, started and had a pile of work at my desk, a mile high for probably like three months. But when you're new, it's checking for commas and documents, right? I mean, you're not useful as an attorney for the first year, mostly. And then 2007, 2008 rolls along, and there's this Lehman, one of our big climates was Lehman Brothers, the other one was oh. Bear Stearns. I mean, these are investment banks that were highly over-leveraged in, with mortgage-backed securities. So these are the things that run the economy, the cheap mortgages, the subprime mortgages that, that run the economy back in uh, the late aughts. So our work dried up, really it was overnight. I mean, and when I say overnight, I mean pile of work on my desk one day to, hey, we're not working on this project anymore, put it on hold, those papers are collecting dust. And then we're doing the rounds, going to the partners and going, do you have anything I can work on? Because I was working on this big thing and now it's like zero. So I could just kind of help you with something. And they're like, all my stuff is now paused. And we sat there and sat there and sat there. And then maybe two months later, they all called us into a meeting and they're like, look, we're not going to lay you off. You have till the end of the year. It's like February. We're going to pay you full salary and benefits till the end of the year. But you should maybe look for another job because you're not going to learn anything here. For, for months. And so we did all of our continual legal education, credit learning stuff. And then it was like, you guys don't have to show up anymore because everybody's got their CLE credits topped up. Everybody's got their loose ends tied up. You guys are getting paid. We're not even going to pretend that you should show up to work <laughs> because we're not even going to turn on your computer because there's just no reason to, for you to commute here. And that was when I was like, this is a problem. I am one of 60 people from my hiring cohort alone. Each of us is easily making $12,000 a month. And that's 
just that one year. And there are hundreds of lawyers here wow. and hundreds of support staff. So this place is burning millions and millions of dollars. We were in the American Express building. I mean, this is not cheap rent. Oh, yeah. You know, we had like three floors in there, so maybe more. So I had already been doing a podcast early, early started in 2006 and I'd started it in law school and it was about networking. And then it turned into like a dating show. Cause I started to get into the, yeah. you know, again, human hacking, but you know, networking is not as interesting as the opposite sex is when you're 26. So then as I started to get absolutely no work in the law firm, a friend of mine was like, Hey, why don't you come and do a guest spot on Sirius XM satellite radio, which I think it was just actually XM back at that point or Sirius at that point, they merged the two together. Mm -hmm. This is satellite radio. That's kind of like, instead of AM or FM, it goes all over the U S all over Southern Canada. And people have it when you have like a boat or you're a trucker and you don't want to lose your radio station every 10 miles. So I'd started to do uh, guest spots on there on a show that was on Maxim Radio, which doesn't exist anymore. And then one day the station manager was listening and he's like, hey, you're good at talking about this stuff. And I said, oh, well, that's because I have a podcast. Here's my print off card from Vistaprint or whatever. You know, here's the, the Kinko's business card that I get have. Yeah. So I gave it to him. And then two weeks later, I emailed him and I was like, hey, I don't suppose you had a chance to listen to that podcast. And he goes, actually funny. I was going to email you today. I really like what you do on your show. You should do your podcast, but do it on satellite radio. And so he gave me a radio show. Wow. And that was the beginning. I was like, OK, wait a minute. I thought I was just doing this thing in my basement. But if I'm on satellite radio now and I've been doing the show for like eight months, I'm obviously good enough to do this for real. Right. So when my law career started to, to, well, tank, I just decided this is the time to give it a shot. And it's, it's funny. I have to credit one of my delusional friends who played guitar and harmonica and was like, he was also a lawyer. He goes, I'm going to give my music career a shot. And I was just thinking, you are a delusional. You're going to give your music career a shot. And he goes, well, you know, now's the time we're young, we have no responsibility. We live in New York and everything's already paid for. And I was like, you know, you're definitely not wrong there. You are not wrong. Right. This is the time to give it a shot. So I thought you, you're giving your music career a shot. and No one's ever paid you to play music. And I'm on satellite radio. Why don't I have the self-confidence to do this? Mm. I have people who are paying tens of thousands of dollars to have me yap to the entire U.S. and Canada for hours at a time every single week. I actually have a chance at this from the sound of it. So that was the beginning of me really taking it super seriously. You know, I kept the podcast going. The show's now has become the Jordan Harbinger show. Um, but really, at that point, I was like, you know, I don't have to be a lawyer just because I have a law degree. Right. I have other talents. I can do this. I'm good enough at this to make a living at it because I'm already on the prime time. And the market gave you some good feedback. And you did the one thing that most people don't do, which is you followed up. Yeah, I made a fortune because I was the guy who followed up and we built a coaching company to teach people how to follow up and they do well. Most people don't, right? Most people send the email and don't follow through. And, they go, you know, no, he didn't answer. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting to be discovered. I was a little bit irritating, I'm sure, because if you want to talk about follow up for a second, because it seems like it's in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I didn't just email him and then email him again. I probably emailed him like six or seven times politely every, yep. you know, every week would go by or so. And I would I had a note that was like, don't forget. And I never needed that note because it was like the first thing every morning. I was like, I should see if he replied to my email because I was excited. Yeah. And then when I went back to do a guest spot on Max, that same Maxim radio show again weeks later, I just walked up to his office and yeah, I wasn't supposed to be on that floor. But he was like, oh, hey, Jordan, what's going on, man? You know, it wasn't just like 
thanks for your email. Here's a radio show. It was more like, did you get a chance to listen? Yeah, you know, I did. And it was pretty good, but I'm super busy right now. Uh, why don't we talk again in a couple of weeks? And I thought, okay, I hope I get to come back in here in a couple of weeks. So I said, should we make an appointment? He's like, no, just email me. And I was like, can I get your phone number uh, in case, you know, I yep. get caught in your spam folder? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. And of course, dude never answered his email. Right. You know, he was busy all the time. So I would call and say, hey, uh, I'm just leaving you a message because I left you an email. And he eventually was like, I'm not going to get rid of this guy. So he he said, you know what? I'll give you a shot. You're good at this. The podcast is good. I listened to a couple episodes. Why don't you come in and do this? And that was the beginning. You know, it wasn't right. really just emailed him. He replied and gave me a radio show. So I'm sure. glad I got a chance to clarify that. Because no, that's huge. Because the truth of the matter is success comes dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. And, and mm-hmm. the balance there between being persistent and not being a jerk, right? Being persistent and also trying to provide value. Hey, did you listen to the show? And at the end of the day, the key is to come off being perceived as a person who's passionate. Yes. You know, he's fired up. He's got great energy. He's passionate about what he does. Maybe I should give this kid a shot. And that's how it works, as opposed to by sheer volume, I'm going to win them over. No, that's not the deal. You got to have a little style with it. And I want to talk about it because interestingly enough, you actually have a little six minute networking course. And I think it's kind of interesting that with all this cyber background and you were doing podcasts before most people knew what a podcast (laughs) was that now you've kind of evolved into this guy who does study people, understand communications, knows how you've advanced your own career. And now it's landed in this area of networking, which I think is more crucial than ever before. It's certainly what we're all about. And maybe you can speak to that a little bit, how you ended up in the networking world, and then a little bit about what this course you put together looks like. Sure. So the networking stuff never came naturally for me at all. Um, When I was in law school, I was still kind of shy and reserved. And I met this older couple at a bar in downtown Ann Arbor. And they were really friendly and nice. And as I talked with them, I realized that they were quite successful. The woman was some kind of Kashmiri, like from India, Pakistan region Mm -hmm. royalty, but not like the queen or whatever. You know, she was like a distant, I don't know, they probably have 500 princesses or something like that. But she was like one of those super nice, well-connected, very friendly. The guy was a real estate developer. And he's like, why don't you come out on our boat this weekend? You're such an interesting guy. We'll have a couple of drinks and we'll hang out. And I was like, I don't know people like this. I didn't grow up around people like this. So they would invite me to dinners that were for a charity. And I'd say, oh, I can't afford to go. It's like $2,000 a plate. And they're like, don't be silly. Obviously you're our guest. So I'd go And I eat this food and across from me would be the chief resident of University of Michigan Hospital. And they'd be like, talk to him because you probably have friends that want to be doctors and get residences there. And this is the guy that makes all that happen. And I'd be like, oh, okay, sure. Why not? So I connect with these people. And and then they'd say like, so what are you going to do? Do you want to go to medical school after law school? Do you want to go to business school after law school? Do you want to become a lawyer? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, you can figure it out. And they were so interested in career stuff. And and they really harped on networking and Mm. some of their skills rubbed off on me. And I started to bring it to our career services people at the law school. And they were like, this is really good because at law school, career services was like, we're going to have you in a mock interview. Hi, why do you want to work here? Uh, I like the law and it sounds fun. And they're like, great. Do you have a business card? And you hand them the card and they go, great. Oh, you did fine. You're going to be fine. And I'm like, this is not how this works. You've never had a job other than career services at a law school. You don't hire people. You don't know. (laughs) And so it was really cringe and ineffective. And these people were like, they were serious. You know, they had business chops. And I started to teach some of the skills they were teaching me as a as an elective at the law school and almost no one cared and only a couple of women showed up to my I guess you could call them lectures 
And that was the beginning of me getting really interested in this networking thing. I started to hold the classes at a bar because there was air conditioning there and (laughs) more and more women would show up, which then meant guys would show up. That was actually the genesis of the podcast because I started recording those. And I was like, I need to put these online somehow because people keep asking me for them. But the networking stuff started to become really obvious because I would never wait in line for anything. I knew all the bartenders and I started to really put this stuff into action having nothing to do with career. And I was like, I could treat it like royalty around Ann Arbor. I don't pay for things. I don't wait in line for things. I go to the Irish pub on St. Patrick's Day. I don't pay cover. I just walk in. There's a free drink with my name on it. I'm sitting at the owner's table. You can't even move in there because it's St. Patrick's Day in an Irish pub. So it was just an interesting situation. I thought this is like the key to life. Yeah. You know, this is amazing. I wanted to apply that to jobs. I wanted to apply that to friendships. I wanted to apply that to dating everywhere. And that was the genesis of my my podcast, but also of the six minute networking course, which is a free course that I give away to anybody who will sign up for it. Because I think the more people that have this kind of information, the better. And it's it's just drills and exercises to get people not to be more outgoing and fun and friendly because that's not everybody's personality, but to help people connect with people, reconnect with people that they've lost touch with, manage relationships using software systems, tiny habits that take like five minutes a day so that they can do this easily. Yeah, let's say uh, I'm a college kid straight out of college or I'm a person who got laid off from my corporate job and I'm going to start a small business. Sure. What what would be your, where do I start with networking? Where where would your top tips be? I would say if you've never done any networking, which most people who have just gotten out of college have never done any conscious networking, I have an exercise, it's also in six-minute networking, called layoff lifelines. And what this is is essentially... Imagine you get laid off tomorrow, and if you've never had a job, you're basically in that situation. Make a list of 10 to 15 people who you would contact right now for advice. And, you know, if your parents are on there, great. If not, great. They don't really count. You know, people who are already in your life every day don't necessarily count, but people that you would reach out to for advice. Make that list now, and then reach out to them now when you don't have some kind of agenda, preferably, and rekindle that relationship. Because what happens is, Everyone's out of sight, out of mind. And so let's say you have a great job and you're busy. You don't make that list of people, but then you do get laid off and you go, "Uh uh-oh, so now you start thinking, where can I get a job? And you start contacting your old college roommate and all this stuff. And they're like, I haven't heard from you in eight years. Oh, hey, man, how you doing? Uh, Can I have a job? I got laid off. And they're like, ooh, (laughs) that's a tall, that's a heavy lift, man. Um, No, good, good luck. But- If I've reached out to them now and I didn't get laid off and I'm just, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. I've done a kind of a bad job of keeping in touch. They're thrilled to hear from you. You catch up a little bit. Six months later, you do the same thing. You keep in touch a little bit. Three years later, you get laid off. Now, when you reach out to them, you're just reaching out to an old friend that you've talked to on on a regular basis for a really long time. It's not weird for you to then ask them if they have a reference for you Mm -hmm. or a career step or a job that may be a good fit for you. They already know you. They like you. They trust you. Or a referral to your business, right? Exactly. You know anybody who's buying or selling, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. But if you don't do that and you only reach out when you need something, Mm -hmm. it not only does it seem transactional, but people know you have an agenda. They might not want to be part of it. They might not have time for that. They can't really vouch for you because this, and, and also it's like, well, how do I know you're going to do the same thing for me if you're only reaching out when you need something? So you always want to dig the well before you get thirsty and making a list of people that you've lost touch with that you think are actually quite important or could be important to your life or that you enjoyed having in your life and reaching out to them now while you do not have an agenda. That is the definition of digging the well 
before you get thirsty. So I recommend that as a starting point. And what this also does, making this list and reaching out to people, is it kicks off the rust. You know, because you reach out and you go, oh, this is going to be so weird. I haven't talked to this guy in 10 years. He's going to like laugh or be right. weirded out by it. Or he's going to think I'm trying to sell him some multi-level marketing protein shakes or something. You know, this right. isn't good. Uh, and, and then you reach out and they go, oh, my God, I'm so glad to hear from you. I have so many funny stories. I was just talking about you like a few months ago with my wife. Oh, what are you up to? And you go, wait, they're happy to hear from me. What if I email the rest of the people on this list? And then everyone or, you know, half the list replies and they're happy to hear from you and they like you and you're, you're, you're just feeling great about it. Now you go, huh, reconnecting with people is actually quite fun. Right. It's awkward when you're trying to get them to do something because you need or want something. But if you don't and you're just being friendly, it's a heck of a lot more fun. And so people start to take this on as a habit. And that's where the magic happens because reaching out to one or two people Eh, maybe nothing happens. But if you're reaching out to one person every day and keeping the ball rolling on, let's say, 365 relationships every year, that there's going to be opportunity that comes from that. There's going to be uh, a lot of social support that comes from that. And that leads to business support and financial support and career advice and jobs and yep. referrals and all that stuff. And uh, it just it starts to become a, a flywheel that turns and, and yeah, generates. I, I mean, this has been 35 years of my life. You're building those relationships, you're connecting. And if you can provide value, you know, mm -hmm. give, give and give, Yes. you know, and you know, we have a whole system of giving information and items of value and little gifts and giving of your time and you give and you give. And then when you need to ask, you know, you filled up the bucket, mm -hmm. you know, the account is full and you get to write a small check once in a while. Like Exactly. And in the modern world we live in today, it's more necessary than ever before. I don't know about you, my phone four or five times a day now, it's spam risk shows up on the phone call. All the time. Those yeah. guys aren't getting through. Those guys aren't getting through. But when I see the name that I know, that's the one I'm answering or getting back to. Mm -hmm. Because I built a relationship, they built a relationship with me. How can the folks get access to the six-minute networking course? Where do they go? Sure. Yeah, jordanharbinger.com slash course is where it is. And I, I want to reiterate at jordanharbinger.com slash course. I don't need your credit card. You don't enter payment info. I don't sell anything. The way I make money is I have advertisements on the Jordan Harbinger Show podcast, just like you have some on, on your show. Mm -hmm. You know, I shill mattresses and egg McMuffins like everybody else. I don't have <laughs> uh, any sort of, because I, I say that because people go, oh, well, once I sign up for this networking thing, I'm going to get 8,000 messages about going to your retreat in the middle of the Adirondacks that's $12,000. I'm, I'm not going to do that. There's no hidden, you know, marketing. You, you stuff should have on your website. I don't need your credit card. If I wanted your credit card, I would just hack your information. I would already and have get it. it without you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a chance I already have your credit card information. <laughs> yeah, that's great stuff. Let me ask you this. What's the future for Jordan Harbinger? What, what does the future hold? You're a curious guy. You're a growth guy. Uh, where do you think you see yourself five, 10 years from now? It's, man, five or 10 years, it seems like an eternity because mm -hmm. my life has changed so much. You know, I'm 42, I have two kids now. So yeah. it's funny, what, before kids, it was like five years from now, I'm gonna be doing this and then my business value is gonna be this and this. Now I'm like, I'm probably gonna go to be at a soccer game in yep. five years. Yep. And I'm probably gonna have two trips to Disneyland on the calendar in five years. And people are like, yeah, but what are your business goals? And I'm like, not letting my business ruin my relationship with my <laughs> wife and kids. That's yep. my primary goal for my yep. business. And that's a pretty big one as the 55 yeah. year old with the six kids and the two grandkids. Yeah. You know, that's where I, and that's true. And that's very true. And uh, you know, the main thing is you're doing what you're passionate about. You're very gifted at it. Thank and you. It continues to grow. Jordan, we have five questions, you know, with what do we do. 
It's yeah. at the end of each podcast and uh, kind of gives a little flavor of who we're interviewing and who we're talking to. Sure. So I'd love to put you through the drill. Let's do it. First one is, uh, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh, man. It's probably going to be that dig the well before you get thirsty. I didn't yeah. make that up. No, I know. Um, yeah, you've, it's, I think it's the title of a book by Harvey McKay or something. Harvey McKay is a yeah. good friend of mine. Yep. He's yeah, the yeah. Uh, How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. Yeah. A good dude. A good dude. What's the one talent or gift you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Ooh, um, I'm a terrible dancer. That's kind of mm. a crap wish, though. I will admit that that's not the greatest <laughs> skill to wish for. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, music is normally the number one answer we get. People want to oh, really? play or play an instrument or play on stage. And huh. from billionaires to movie stars, it, it's that's uh, funny because I yeah. feel like that is one of those where people go, you had wish and you wished you were a better dancer. Yeah, get a life, man. No, that's no, funny. I don't think so. I want to be a dancer. I just want uh, to dance. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, one book would you say has been most instrumental in your life? Ooh, um, there's a lot, but I think Jocko Willink's Extreme Ownership, because mm-hmm. the concept, despite being very simple, is there's always an element of whatever went wrong in your life yeah. that you can control. And people go, why blame yourself for all the... Ba-? It's not really that. It's mostly like... Look, at some point, you're either going to feel like you can't control anything or you're going to find the thing that you can control and maybe you'll be able to stop the bad thing from happening next time. And that's an empowering way to look at business problems, personal problems, any kind of issue. Uh, He's a good dude. Friend of mine lives right here, right down the street. So good dude. Good book. Very good book. Mm -hmm. Uh, What one movie? You're scrolling through the channels. You're just chilling out. And there's one movie. And Whenever it's on, you stop to watch it. What's the one movie you've watched over and over again? Oh, um, Swing Kids. Not a a feel-good movie, really. No. No. What is it about that movie that does it for you? Uh, you know, do you know the premise of the movie? Uh, Yeah. So essentially, not that everyone does, so I'll explain briefly. It's, it's, I think it's like a Disney-ish movie or owned by Disney Studio. And uh, Christian Bale and a couple of other guys are young Germans and they love swing music. And it's 1935 or something like that. And they are sort of like swing is like punk rock, but in the Mm thirties and they start to realize that the Nazis are coming to power. And so they, for laughs, they join the Hitler youth and they become totally indoctrinated by Nazi political ideology. And they end up that, you know, they're hanging out with all these Jewish guys playing jazz music. And it just shows like, how they their minds just rot and they become terrible evil people mm, mm. Um, over this and they but they're all tied together with swing music so the movie is like amazing dancing really cool music and it shows it's very unfortunately it shows what can happen to people who know better and are just doing it for a laugh they're just mm. larping the whole thing and then eventually it just takes over your mind so an ideology right now is very that movie if, if you made that movie right now it would be in higher definition and nothing else would probably change. I mean, it's mm. very, very yeah. relevant. Nerdy stuff. But it had a little dancing in it, so that was the redeeming mm-hmm. quality. Last but not least, what does the good life mean to Jordan Harbinger? Man, I think the good life for me, I, I don't do a whole lot of things that feel like work. Mm. You know, this doesn't feel like work. Reading a book yeah. to prep for a guest doesn't feel like work. Conducting an interview doesn't feel like work. Uh, doing marketing for my business doesn't feel like work. Meeting people for my business doesn't feel like work. I, I, if I have an hour of something that feels like work 
every week. It's usually because I had to look at a spreadsheet with tax information on it or <laughs> have a call with a lawyer for some reason. You know, that there's there's very little where I go, oh, can I just get through this? I can't even remember the last time that happened. And that's that is such a cool thing because it means I can work seven days a week if I want to, you know, and as long as I'm spending enough time with my family, of course, but mm -hmm. I can work seven days a week and I don't go, oh, I'm so burned out. I right. just feel like I just read an extra. I read three books this week. Feeling pretty good about that. It's interesting. The two things you brought up as examples to sound like work was the thing you were doing in Wall Street, looking yeah. at a spreadsheet or talking to some lawyer. Those are yeah. the two things you brought up, which goes they're to show they're scar, they're etched in there with a yeah. Chisel. You just got to get out and pursue what it is you're supposed to be doing, and that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You're very articulate, talented man, and I know you're doing great with the show and. uh yeah, we're excited to promote that six-minute networking. We believe Thank that you. networking is the key to the kingdom. And uh, in today's world, it's more important than ever before. So thank you for being on the show today, man. You're, uh, you're a real light in the marketplace. Continue to do what you're doing. And uh, we'll keep cheering you on from a distance. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. You bet. Well, we're going to finish off today with uh, my own catchy if you can. It's Therese Buffini with a little Irish blessing for us all. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 